Well, welcome again to Faith Lutheran Church. Um, my name is John Petrillo, and um, I'm honored to give God's message to you this morning. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Chris announced that there would be a guest proclaimer of the word this morning, and surprise, it's me. Um, so it, uh, I like that title, though, Guest Proclaimer. And so, so here we are, and um, I'll be sharing the word with you this morning. And, and as Jeff mentioned, we're talking about this discovering your gifts and being blessed to be a blessing. And I just wanted to take us back really quick, if you remember, to the beginning of the year to this book. Because we've been talking for the last several weeks about the types of gifts and the characters in the Bible and everything else. But this whole series started with this book and the reminder from God that every single person God created, and that's everybody, is a gift. And there is power in seeing people as God sees us, as a gift. And then the second chapter of that book tells us that every single person not only is a gift, but every single person has gifts. And that there is, again, power in discovering those gifts that God has given to each and every one of us. And then... We learned in the third week of this book that everyone is called to use their gifts. And naming our God-given talents in our occupation, in our work, in our family, in the community, that there's power there, our vocation that God has called us to serve in. And then we learned also that no matter what your gifts are now, everybody can grow their gifts. God didn't create us to be static and to be stuck where we were. We are supposed to be growing and changing for his purpose. And then we also learned that the church can equip us to help us grow our gifts. And the church is not this building, and the church is not Pastor Brian, and the church is not Pastor Chris. The church is all of us in this room this morning. We are called to help each other grow our gifts. And so I just wanted to take us back on a little trip down memory lane to remember where we started with all of this this morning. And so now that we are exploring those types of gifts, as Jeff mentioned, the 17 um, characters of the Old Testament, 17 characters of the New Testament, and today we are going to be talking about the gift of critical thinking, and we're going to be focused on the character of Gideon in the Bible. And before we do that, I would ask you to please just join me for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for revealing the ways in which you've gifted each of us. As you speak to us today about the gift of critical thinking and the life of Gideon, may the words I speak and the meditations on all of our hearts be true to your word, bring honor and glory to you, and help us develop a greater understanding of you and your will for our lives. Amen. Well, if you have our Bibles with you this morning, I'll invite you to turn to the book of Judges, chapter 6. Judges is the seventh book in the Old Testament. So if you start off on Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers and Joshua, and you kind of blow past all those, Judges is going to be right there. And if you start on chapter 6, you'll be close to where we're going to read today. We're going to camp out mostly in Judges chapter 6. We're going to bounce around a little bit, but stay with me. And if you're there in your Bible, um, you'll, be, you'll be close when the time comes. You may recall that in the time of the Judges, that began shortly after the Israelites entered the Promised Land, right? Moses had led the Israelites through the desert for 40 years before they appeared at the Jordan River the second time. Then Joshua took over and he led the Israelites into Canaan, 
And Joshua led the people in Canaan while they conquered the land there for a period of about 18 years or so. And then Joshua passed away and the other elders in the tribe of Israel passed away. And what happened then, very sadly, is this. There was a leadership vacuum for the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. And they were without a leader and they were without a spiritual focus. And they started to spiral away. And so instead of enjoying peace and prosperity and all the things that God had promised them in this nation, in this land, in this promised land, the nation of Israel entered into a dark period of sin and separation from God. This period of darkness spanned over 300 years. And during that time, people were intermarrying with people of different faiths and they introduced idolatry. They started worshiping other gods and pretty much were just doing anything and everything that they felt that they wanted to do. Does it sound familiar? Sometimes when we watch the news, we're like, what the heck is going on? And it's the nation of Israel all over again. Here we are in this great land. And so what would happen is after a period of complete desperation, you know, the, the spiral would continue and things would go on. And after a while, God would say, enough of this. And he would allow the nation of Israel's enemies to overtake them. And nation of Israel would submit to their enemies. They would become captives in their own land. And then out of complete desperation, the people of Israel would say, Lord, help us. And then out of love for his people and out of remembrance of his promise to his people, God would step in and he would introduce a leader or a judge who would help lead the people out of captivity. And so uh, the, the book of Judges itself is the story of six different times, right? You'd think once would be enough, but it's not. After a period of peace and prosperity again for the nation of Israel, they'd go about their way again, and they'd put God in the rearview mirror, and they'd start to live their own life, and the cycle would continue. Separation from God, captivity, separation from God, redemption, all those things. And the book of Judges records six successive cycles of this. And there are 12 judges that carried the people through this and redeemed them. And these judges were very far from perfect, and we're going to hear some of that today. But they were willing to say yes to God's call and lead his people. And so Gideon was the fifth judge. The fourth, they call them major judges and minor judges, but he was the fifth overall judge. And he was called to deliver the nation of Israel after they had been taken captive by the Midianites. And... Um, he was a farmer at the time, not a warrior, not a general, not even a leader of people, just a simple farmer. And we're going to see um, Judges chapter 6, verse 15. I'll put that up on the screen for you really quick. When Gideon was called by the angel of the Lord to serve, he said this. He said, but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And I thought that would be interesting to share today. That's not our focus reading, but how many times have we said, well, I could never do that? How many times? I can tell you we hear it a lot when we ask people to pray here on Sunday morning. I could never do that. Or lead communion on Sunday morning. Or lead the worship service over at Carriage Crossing once a month. Well, I could never do that. I gotta admit, in all honesty, I said it to myself just a few minutes ago when Lindsay was standing up here. 
I could never do that. But the truth of the matter is this. We can, with God's help, we can do anything. So it's never a question of, can I do that? It's always a question of, will I do that? And if you parse through the words in that scripture verse this morning, Gideon's not saying, I can't do that. What's he saying? How can I do that? And he has every right to be skeptical. What he's admitting there is, hey, I'm the smallest of the small. How could I possibly lead Israel? He didn't say, I can never do that. He said, how can I do that? And the truth of the matter is this. Healthy skepticism is a good trait. We should be skeptical. We should want to parse things through. And God is willing to use that gift of critical thinking that Gideon demonstrates, and we'll show some more examples of that. Um, because he built that critical thinking skill into Gideon. And he was willing to use that and all the other gifts that he built into Gideon as well, as long as Gideon was willing to say yes. So critical thinking gifts help us process data. This is according to, the, to this workbook that we started talking about. Helps us process data to problem solve or make informed decisions. And according to the survey in here, more people identify as having the gift of, of critical thinking than any other gift that we're talking about in, in this series. So 12% of the people who filled out the survey said, hey, this is my primary gift is critical thinking. And another 11% said, hey, it's not my primary gift, but it's my secondary gift. So I can do basic math. I still remember how to do that. That's 23%. So do we have any critical thinkers in the congregation this morning? No, I'm the only one. Come on, 23% of you, raise your hands. Critical thinkers, there we go, we got a few. All right, so critical thinkers. Let's pat ourselves on the back for a minute. We are particularly gifted in these areas. Analytical thinking, these are up on the screen. Breaking down complex information and data into basic parts or principles so that we can plot a solution or a course of action can be determined. Critical thinkers are creative. They're good at generating or connecting ideas in new and imaginative ways. They're good at data analytics, picking out data and putting it together and looking for insights or trends. And they're also good decision makers. They're good at determining that course of action by weighing all the different possibilities and the pros and cons and the risk management factors and everything else. Critical thinkers are great to have around in a crisis because they have this uncanny ability to separate emotion out of the equation and just deal with the facts and work through and logic their way through the problem without worrying about everything else that everybody's kind of losing their head about. And we first hear of Gideon's critical thinking skills and problem-solving skills in Judges chapter 11. We're going to put that up on the slide here for you, and I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you what happened. But when the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, Gideon is actually in a wine press threshing wheat. You're like, well, why are you threshing wheat in a wine press? Wine presses are for pressing wine. And he was doing that to keep the wheat hidden from the Midianites. And threshing wheat is the process of separating these wheat kernels from the outer shell of the wheat called the chaff. That's what threshing is. And it's done by taking the wheat. Usually it's on the ground. It's in an open area that you do this in. And you scoop the wheat up and you throw it up in the air. And the heavy wheat kernels fall to the ground. 
and the chaff is lighter and it blows away because the wind catches it and it goes all over the place. And then when you're left with is wheat. Now Gideon couldn't be threshing wheat out in the open because they were being held captive by the Midianite. And Midianite raiders would come and see that he had wheat there and they would take it. So he was threshing wheat in a wine press. And that was less than ideal because there wouldn't be a lot of, of, of wind there. It was in a pit. It was down low where it could not be easily seen. And so it was a less than ideal solution, but it was the best solution he had at the time. So he's deciding a course of action based on what his situation is. And that is, is where we see some of uh, Gideon's critical thinking come into play. Critical thinkers, as we just saw, they have many, many strengths, right? But as is so often the case, our strength is also our weakness. And since we already know how good we are as critical thinkers, I thought I would take a few moments and focus instead on some of those areas to look out for, those areas of weakness. And since I can count myself as a critical thinker, if I were to give this sermon a title, I would probably call it Confessions of a Critical Thinker. We're just going to take a few moments and, and look at some of these things. So while critical thinkers have a lot of gifts in a lot of different areas, one of the challenges critical thinkers struggle with is that they have a tendency to overthink things. That gift of thinking and critical thinking can be something that they emphasize a little too much. And I see some spouses looking at their spouse this morning as I just mentioned that. It's like, hmm. So it's kind of hard to um, argue against the virtue of getting your ducks in a row and planning everything out before you make a decision on something. That's all a very good thing. But when you do it too long, it creates this phrase that we're all very familiar with, right? Analysis paralysis, right? Or paralysis by analysis, where you just get stuck. And critical thinkers want to avoid making a less than optimal decision. It's not even a fear of making a bad decision sometimes. It's just like, there's a best decision out there and I wanna find that. So I'm gonna spend as much time as I can to try to find that. And that's really frustrating and time-consuming. And critical thinkers know this sometimes because sometimes the ideal solution doesn't really exist. And so you can get spun around in circles while you're trying to find that ideal solution waiting for it because it's not there. And I've got a slide I wanted to show you this morning. Um, this is a spreadsheet that I put together last year. Um, and it's tiny, you might not be able to read it. Don't worry, I'll tell you what it is. So last year I ran out of vitamins. And I needed to buy some new vitamins. And the place I get my vitamins from was having a big sale, a big sale. So I'm like, I'm gonna buy all the vitamins that I need for the next year. And so I went out on the website, and I've gone to get to web vitamins from this website before, and they had another vitamin flashed up there on the screen. I'm like, oh boy. So here's a new and improved vitamin that I could take. And I started looking at this vitamin compared to the other vitamin that I ordered and the nutrients or whatever. And before you know it, my head starts spinning. And I'm like, well, what's the better vitamin? Well, how do you figure this out when you're a critical thinker? You build a spreadsheet and you list each vitamin in a column and you list all the nutrients for the vitamins in the column and how much are in there and all that. And guess what? They're not listed in the same order on the bottle. Oh no, you couldn't do that. So they're like, what, well, why did you do this? So then you start color coding and you say, well, this one's got less than this one of this thing. And this one's got more of this than this one. And this one, they deleted that one. There's some gray shading down there. It's like, well, that, that nutrient isn't in the other ones. And it's like, woo, boo, 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 boo. so here you go. All these columns and all this, right? 
So here's the funny thing. By the time I figured out which vitamin to buy, all the other ones were sold out and they were out of stock and I couldn't buy them anyway. Right? What an idiot. Can't tell you how long I spent figuring out the best, best vitamin to buy. So I don't re even remember if I got my second choice or my first choice happened to be the one that was there. But in the end, there was no decision to make because it took me too long to make the decision. Done. It got made for me. And the funnier thing, or the sadder thing, is that this is one spreadsheet of many sitting on the hard drive of my computer, right? You want to buy a new cell phone? I got a spreadsheet for that. You want to figure out which streaming service you should buy? I got a spreadsheet for that too, right? Replace vitamins and nutrition with how many channels are on the streaming service. I've got all that. Spreadsheets, right? I've got it. So in our focus text this morning, we can see Gideon overthinking a little bit too. And so here's, um, when God's calling him to serve Israel, we read this in Judges chapter 6, verses 36 through 40, and it says this. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece, and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece, wrung out the dew, and there was a bowl full of water there. But then, Gideon said, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Now I can only imagine why Gideon felt the need to test God twice with this. And as a critical thinker, I can picture exactly why. You realize that that first test wasn't really a perfect test, right? Someone could have come in the middle of the night while you were sleeping, and they could have poured water on the wool. Maybe it wasn't God that did it. Maybe somebody else did it because they overheard you having this conversation. Or maybe wool just holds moisture longer than the ground does. So maybe the dew covered everything, and then you wake up and you slept in a little bit that morning, and the sun was baking down, and the ground dried, but the fleece was still holding onto its water. That's not a good test. Let's test God again right? Now, fortunately, God's patient, and God tells Gideon, okay, I'll play along. And after the second time, Gideon was convinced. And chapter 7, that we're not going to park out in too long today, Gideon says yes, and God tells the story of the crushing victory of the Midianites under Gideon's leadership, but ultimately under God's control. So the first challenge for critical thinkers is that we can get stuck in our own head and spend too much time overthinking things. And the second issue sometimes that we struggle with as critical thinkers is with our own faith. I mentioned earlier that healthy skepticism is a good thing, but sometimes we apply that to faith as well. And that's fine too, because our faith will stand the test. But we may demonstrate tremendous faith at times, and we may de demonstrate tremendous faith most of the time, quite frankly, 
But there are times when we can start listening to the voices in our head, the voices of our culture, looking at the reality of the troubles of our daily life and the things that are confronting us. And we can focus too much on our own thinking and our own analytical skills, and we start spinning on those things too. And so sometimes we can wonder if God really loves us. We can wonder where God is in the moment. Sometimes for even the briefest of moments, you can just play with the idea of, well, what if God just doesn't really exist at all? And that's a horrible, scary feeling to have. But it can happen for just a second. And none of us are immune to it, really. You don't have to be a critical thinker to be stuck with faith questions. But in the exchange between Gideon and the angel of our Lord in Judges chapter 6, verses 12 through 13, this demonstrates, too, that Gideon was also struggling with his faith prior to the angel arriving. Remember that Israel had been under oppression by the Midianites, right? And as a chosen people, it's really hard to acknowledge that God is still with you when you're being oppressed. Because we don't like to give thanks or, or, or give credence to the idea that we created this mess. We turned our backs on God. Why in the world should God be blessing us and raising us up when we have basically put him in the back seat? And so there's been this period of heavy struggling for the Israelites, and, um, and this has affected Gideon's faith. And so we read in chapter 6, verse 12, it says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And in verse 13, Gideon replies, Pardon me, Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So there's doubt. But as the conversation continues, the angel of the Lord convinces Gideon, and Gideon comes to accept that this really is God's messenger who is calling him. But it doesn't happen until the angel produces a sign by making fire come out of a rock. So you have this miraculous sign, and it's like, oh, well, then I believe. And it's like, okay. But eventually we get there. But the doubt is there. Critical thinkers can find themselves in need of proof or reassurance from God in order to sustain our faith. And fortunately, God is willing to provide it for us. If we really ask for it, and if we're truly sincere of our motives when we're asking for it. One last challenge I wanted to address about critical thinkers is our gift of analytical thinking can sometimes come at the expense of interpersonal relationships. And I mentioned earlier that critical thinkers have a way of getting around emotion in a crisis. And that's great when you're in a crisis. But when you're one-on-one -on -one with an individual or you're in a small group, sometimes that willingness to put fact over feelings can create some strain on those interpersonal relationships. And in those cases, we have a tendency to run people over in one of two ways. And the first way is that we can be totally clueless or oblivious to the social cues and not realize the emotions that someone else is feeling. That's one way. And the second way is even worse. And that is that we can be aware of someone's feelings, 
but we just don't take them into the calculation as part of the equation of the conversation that we're having. We just kind of overrule them or we don't take the time to acknowledge them because that's not gonna help solve the problem, right? Focusing on the emotion isn't part of the problem. And so those two areas can be really tricky for people who are critical thinkers. And scripture doesn't really provide any blatant examples of Gideon stepping on people's toes or um, disregarding people's feelings. But it's easy to imagine that it could have happened, especially in the very direct and straightforward way that he carried out God's commands in taking on the Midianites. And in Judges chapter 8, verse 1, this is after all of this happened, that scripture says this, it makes reference to that the Ephraimites asked Gideon, why have you treated us like this? And they challenged him vigorously. And I'm not going to get into the story behind all that, but when they're going to battle and God's saying, do this and do that, you can imagine that he doesn't have time to carefully sit down and talk about feelings with people. And later on in chapter 8, which we're not getting into today, they call him out on that. And um, it's pretty clear that the, while the Bible doesn't show the examples in the earlier chapters, that there's some, there's some um, hard feelings and strained relationships there. And so given these challenges for critical thinkers, there are a couple of takeaways that, um, that we can focus on. And these are especially important for critical thinkers, but I think if we're honest, we can all benefit from them a little bit. And the first thing that I want to mention today is don't dwell in doubt. I took a course on sermon preaching last summer, and one of the suggestions that they made to have more memorable sermons is to use alliteration. So there's your alliteration for today. Don't dwell in doubt. Do you remember it now? Don't dwell in doubt. It's okay to be skeptical and have doubts. Um, those are good. And in fact, you have to have doubt in order to have faith, right? It doesn't take any faith to get out of bed in the morning and put your feet on the floor. You know the floor is going to be there. You know the floor is going to hold your weight. You know that gravity is going to do its job and you're not going to go spinning off into the sky. That doesn't take faith. You know that. But when you have doubt, when you're trying to decide what God is asking you to do with your life or what to do with your family and what direction to go, that can create doubt. When you're trying to explain your faith in a culture or defend your faith in a culture that is growing increasingly hostile towards Christianity, that can create doubts. What do I do? What will happen to me? Will this person believe or not believe? Doubt comes up. And so it's understandable that fear and doubt may be a part of our lives and creep into our minds. But if you're new to the faith or you're struggling with your faith, and especially if you're struggling to believe that this Bible represents God's word, it's very important to address that. And if you need to address it in a very logical way, you can do that too. Because, and I'm not going to list all these things here, but there is plenty of archaeological and historical evidence for why we can have faith and confidence in this Bible. There is plenty of fulfilled prophecies in this Bible that can help verify its accuracy and its authenticity. There were some Dead Sea Scrolls, many of them, that were discovered in the 40s and 50s 
and, and I think even beyond into the 60s, that all kind of cross-authenticate what's going on with Scripture. And so there's facts out there that we can use. If you're stuck on critical thinking and you have a prove-it kind of mindset, the proof is there if you really want to find it. And so I encourage you very much to do that if that is where you're stuck. But then once you come to accept the reality that this is God's word, read it every day. Let God's word be the voice that's bouncing around in your head instead of all the negative voices of our culture. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this, and we don't have slides anymore, so... Hear me as I say this. You won't have to turn to this in your Bible, but Romans 10, 17 says this. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So if you want to strengthen your faith, listen to the word of Christ, and this is where you're going to find it, here in the Bible. And as we continue to immerse ourselves in God's word and hear from him directly, our faith obviously will grow and our doubts will evaporate. And then we can learn to trust God more and more than we trust our own reasoning, which is one of the critical things about critical thinkers is we think we can figure it all out for ourselves sometimes. And it's hard to trust God when we already got it all figured out, especially if God wants to take us in a different direction than we already decided we're going to go. That's tricky. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 tells us this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So that's tough for critical thinkers too, is even though we got it all figured out, we need to not lean on our own understanding. And if you've been keeping up with our daily reading on the Today in the Word app, and I'm sure all of you have been, you'll know that two weeks ago today, the scripture reading in that app was exactly the scripture reference that Jeff referred to at the start of our worship this morning. It was that scripture reference from Gideon chapter 7, where God calls on Gideon to lead the army up against the Midianites. And the Midianites had an army of 135,000 people. And Gideon went around throughout the nation of Israel and tried to raise troops, and he raised 32,000 people. Steep odds, 32,000 against 135 when you're just doing hand-to-hand combat, right? There's, there's no tanks or planes or anything like that. So he's already got a big hill to climb. And then God says, well, but hold on a second. You've got too many guys. Let's winnow this down a little bit. And through a process of elimination, God filters Gideon's troops down to 300 people. How do you think Gideon felt the night before they went into battle? Confident? Woohoo! I got 300 dudes. It's only 135,000 of them. This is a piece of cake. No. Fear. Doubt. Big fear. Big doubt. And so the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon again in Judges chapter 7, and I'm giving up on that, but just hear me as I read this. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up and go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. And if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah 
and listen to what they are saying, afterward you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. And the reading goes on to say that when they go down there, they hear two Midianite soldiers talking, and one of them had had a dream. And in interpreting the dream, the other one says, well, that can only mean that the God of the Israelites is going to hand us over into their hands. And Gideon overhears this and is like, woohoo, we're going to win. And his faith is restored. And he goes. And the reason why I wanted to share that scripture reading with this is that this... God is okay if we're afraid, right? That's a very exciting scripture verse to read. God doesn't condemn Gideon for not having faith. He says, hey, if you're afraid, go down there and listen to them. I want to encourage you. We can have fear and faith at the same time. We can do that. We can trust God and still be afraid. And as long as we are ultimately willing to not camp out in our fear and let God take over and let us trust him, then we'll be okay. So we can be afraid. We just can't stay there. We can't get stuck in our fear. And we can't dwell in doubt. The other thing that they tell you in sermon school is if you want people to remember something is to say it three times. So now you guys have heard an alliteration and you've heard it three times. Don't dwell in doubt. So if you remember nothing else today, remember not to dwell in doubt. Something else I want to take away from this message today is that feelings matter. Feelings matter. Facts may be more important than feelings to critical thinkers and maybe to a lot of people who aren't critical thinkers. But that doesn't mean that feelings aren't important. Feelings are very important. Many of you are aware that Debbie and I have a somewhat strained relationship with our middle daughter. And we recently did some family therapy with her sessions to try to find ways to just focus on our common ground and find areas where, okay, we just got to agree to disagree here, but let's focus on this and let's try to maintain a relationship in spite of our differences. And during one of those therapy sessions, you know, it came out, um, you know, she said, you know, you guys have repeatedly say you love me. You've always reassured me that you love me, but dad, and that's me in the conversation, I'm the dad in the family therapy session, um, you keep trying to debate me on this and you're not acknowledging how hurt I am it's like huh huh you're not acknowledging my pain because you're not these words you keep saying if I love you we love you we love you they fall shallow and hollow because you're not acknowledging my real pain and the truth is that I didn't want to acknowledge her pain because I didn't know how to acknowledge her pain without coming across like I agreed with her and I never wanted to communicate to her falsely that I agreed to her. I agreed with her. It was very important to me to communicate that I did not agree with her. And I didn't know how to balance those out at the same time. And so by emphasizing that I was communicating how much I disagreed with her, I neglected to communicate that I really even cared for her. And so feelings matter. Um, Oh, we've got that. Don't dwell in doubt. Let's move ahead. We're on feelings matter. Um, the, um, in this workbook, 
We covered this already, but just back you up there. There's a whole chapter on this book on interpersonal relationships. And so if you struggle with putting facts over feelings and disregarding the feelings of others, like I do, this book covers a couple things. To practice active listening and make a conscious effort to hear what people are really saying. And to practice self-awareness and be aware of what you're saying and how it's affecting other people. And to practice empathy, which is the number one thing on my list of trying to identify with the feelings that a person's having and the experiences of that other person. And that doesn't mean you have to agree with them. You can disagree with them, but you can at least understand what they're feeling. Now, in this hostile, polarized society we live in, don't be surprised if you're marked a hater just because you disagree, right? But that's on them, and that's not on us. If you disagree with someone and they label you a hater, boo to them. But if we disregard their feelings and they label us a hater, there's some truth there because we didn't care enough to acknowledge their feelings. So, intentionally working on those three skills can help with interpersonal relationships. And as with our daughter, I'll just say this, things are getting better, but we got a long way to go. And that's where, that's where we'll leave that. And I wanna wrap up with this last critical thinking takeaway today and just make a shameless plug for life groups. Working through your doubts and working on your interpersonal relationships are easier said than done. But if you're in a life group, you get a playground. You get an opportunity to talk through your faith with other members in your group. You get an opportunity to have some interpersonal relationships, right? Life groups aren't a Bible study. They are, but they're not just a Bible study. Life groups aren't about growing your relationship with God just growing your relationship with God. Life groups are also about growing your interpersonal relationships with the other disciples in your group. So it gives a great opportunity to work through issues in your faith and talk through them. Maybe see somebody's faith from a different perspective so that you can learn some things too. And even if you don't get anything new or any new insight, sometimes it's just comforting to know that someone else has the same faith struggle that you have. And life groups give you an opportunity to work that out. And life groups also give you that opportunity to practice some of these interpersonal skills with your friends and disciples in the life group so that you can take them out into the world where it really matters, where we're going to go make disciples of Jesus Christ and draw people into God. But we can't do that without some of these interpersonal skills. And so I did want to make that shameless plug for, for life groups. And I will close with this because we got ice cream melting in the back and we got to get to it. But that's that God has gifted each and every one of us in so many ways. But it's up to us to use those gifts that we've been given and also grow the gifts that we feel that we are lacking in. That is on us. We have to choose to do that if we're going to serve God's purpose. And we are blessed. There's no question about that. But if we actually want to be the blessing, the second part of that, that can only happen if we're really willing to trust God and we're willing to obey God and we're willing to love other people enough to bring them to God. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of critical thinking and for the lives of people like Gideon that show us how to demonstrate our faith and use our gifts, whatever they may be. Lord, we pray that you will help us to trust you and trust your word, even when it is difficult to hear or difficult to understand. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to love sacrificially as your son Jesus does, so that everything we do and say reflects his love to others. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.